You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 35. If you're using the Blue Bible, you will find the text in page 528 beginning with the last verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 35. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing can desire compared can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, for it is in your power to do it. Do not say to to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but but he blesses the dwellings of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor but fools get disgrace. It is such a joy to see new members being added to our church family, both young and old. It's a a wonderful day to be able to see everyone gathered together. Would you join me as we now pray and as we open God's word? Father, incline our hearts to your word. Open our eyes to see wondrous things in it. Unite our hearts to fear your name and then satisfy our souls with what you have prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs can sometimes be a little bit repetitive. I don't know if you're beginning to notice that. The same arguments show up again and again. Get wisdom. Don't be a fool. Wisdom leads to life. 
and prosperity and blessing. But have you considered why Proverbs repeats itself as much as it does in these first nine chapters? Why do these early chapters of Proverbs give lecture after lecture, teaching after teaching about the value of wisdom? I think one of the reasons is because wisdom is rare. It's difficult to obtain. Wisdom isn't just content that you can accumulate. Like if you picked up an encyclopedia and just started reading. For those of you who don't know what encyclopedia, it's like Wikipedia, but in book form. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's not just a degree to be earned. Plenty of PhDs are fools. It's not just money to be stockpiled. Wisdom accumulates over a time, but it's also this unique combination of knowledge, knowing what to do, as well as discernment, knowing the situation, reading the circumstances, as well as resolve, the willingness to act in that particular moment. And so it's one thing to know how to build generational wealth, and it's an Totally another to actually do it over 40 or 50 or 60 years without throwing it all away. And so the purpose of Proverbs is not just short-term behavioral modification, but the book of Proverbs is written to reshape our very minds and hearts and attitudes and perspectives and our passions so that we would be set up for a lifetime of relating to God rightly and to his world rightly. So let me just illustrate this with King Solomon. The Bible tells us that King Solomon, this is David's son, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond the measure and the breath of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. That's 1 Kings 4, 29 to 30. So Solomon was one of perhaps the wisest man on the face of the earth besides Jesus. And 1 Kings 3 gives us an example of Solomon's wisdom. You remember two prostitutes come to him. They have one dead child, one living child, two infants, and they're fighting over whose child the living one belongs to. And so Solomon says, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. And the real mother says, no, 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 don't cut him in half, just give the child to the other woman. As a result, Solomon returns the infant to his rightful mother. Solomon exhibited wisdom in that moment. He understood the situation, he knew the instincts of the real mother, and he took the action needed to reveal the truth. And yet, we know, if you've read the Bible, the King Solomon turned away from God. First Kings 11.4 says, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And so it's incredibly ironic. Solomon, likely the author of the majority of the Proverbs itself, fell short in walking by wisdom. He strayed from the words of knowledge. And so now he wants his own son and those to come after him not to stray from wisdom. So my burden this morning, my aim is that we would do a bit of a heart check 
If you think, man, I've studied the Proverbs, I've read them a couple of times, I don't need all of this, chances are you might be a fool. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, Proverbs 28, 26 says. So while the book of Proverbs is repetitive in some ways, I don't think we can ever be reminded too much of God's wisdom and how to walk in his ways. None of us is too wise such that this teaching, this book is irrelevant for us. Some of you might know that the late evangelist Billy Graham, he was asked what his Bible reading was and he said uh, he would read five Psalms every day so that he would know how to relate to God and he would read a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs every day as well. So he'd read through the book of Proverbs 12 times every year. Why? Because he needed more wisdom. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so our aim this morning is that we would get and apply this wisdom that leads to life. Now our passage argues for the great value of wisdom. And so we've seen similar types of arguments. We saw the blessings of wisdom. We saw the benefits of wisdom. And this morning we see this broken up into two main parts. Verses 13 to 26, we see this call to get wisdom. And then from 27 to 35, he sees wisdom applied, particularly in our relationships with others. So let's look at this first section from 13 to 26, this call to get wisdom. And this is a big section and it could be broken up into maybe three subpoints. He praises the value of wisdom because it's better than riches, which is the first thing, verses 13 to 18. Then he shows us how wisdom is at work in creation verses 19 and 20, and then he shows how wisdom gives us confidence or security in 21 to 26. And so this section answers the question, why do we get wisdom? Why should we go after and get wisdom? Now look with me at verses 13 to 15 again. He says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. The first aspect of getting wisdom is because wisdom is better than riches. This section is a bit of a hymn or a poem that praises the value of wisdom, and what he's saying is that wisdom is better than any other material wealth that you could possibly get. And he even says, it's better than anything you could possibly desire. This is high praise for wisdom. He says there's more gain to it. The thing he's pointing at is that wisdom pays better dividends than your stock market, your mutual funds. It's a better investment. It has a greater payoff than any stock or any gold coins or any real estate. It's more valuable. This repeats an earlier theme in chapter two, verse four. He said, seek wisdom like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. So he assumes the value of money in everyone's mind. Everyone wants money. You need money to live. And he says, wisdom is that much better. What are you getting in your 401k? Maybe 10%, maybe not last couple of years, 6%, 7%. And he's saying, wisdom, 100%. 
The payoff is much greater. Go after and get wisdom. We see that in Proverbs 8, 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels. So if you're given two options, money and wisdom, which should you get? Wisdom. Or Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So the father is instructing the son because he knows the son's natural tendency and all of our natural tendency. If I said $100 million, never have to work ever again, or all the wisdom in the world, you'd at least have to think about it. And the point is, he says, you shouldn't have to think about it. You should take the wisdom hands down because that reaps better dividends. Now let's find out why wisdom is better than riches. Look with me at verse 16 to 18. He says, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. So we're getting the personification of lady wisdom and she's holding things. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Why is wisdom better than money? Because wisdom can get you what money can't buy. Wisdom can get you what money can't buy. You, you see that? Can you buy honor? Maybe a little bit. If you give all the people around you, they'll give you some honor if you give them money. Can you buy pleasantness? Maybe a little bit. There's some conveniences that come about with money. Can you buy peace? No. Can you buy life, long life? No. Can you buy God's favor? Those who hold fast are called blessed. I think that means blessed by God. Can you buy God's favor? Definitely not. Money cannot buy happiness or wisdom. But here wisdom is pictured as giving away riches and honor and a pleasant life and peace. And it's even pictured as a tree of life like in Eden that if you go to the tree of life and take of its fruit and eat, you will live. There, as I was studying this, there's something called the hedonic treadmill meaning that after significant positive or negative events, we go back to the same level of happiness. So they did this study on 22 lottery winners and 29 accident victims who in the accident became paralyzed. And after two months of, after two months of either winning the lottery or becoming paralyzed, they returned to their relative happiness level. Money cannot buy lasting happiness and yet many live in our world as though it can. In fact, the pursuit of pleasure or money can lead one down into ruin and we see examples of that in our world again and again. It results in ruin and devastation. So how then do we get wisdom? If we're seeking to apply this passage and he says, seek after it, go after it, get it, it's better than gold, how do we get this wisdom? We ask God for wisdom with an open Bible. We ask God for wisdom with an open Bible. Let me point you to two passages. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. 
But it's not just enough to ask. It, like, God, give me wisdom. I'm going to ask once and then I'm just going to do whatever I want. Well, we're to ask for it, but throughout the Proverbs, it said, seek it, cry out for it. Mind God's word for it. So bring your Bible and, and mind his word for wisdom. Because Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And what does it do? It makes wise the simple. God's word is what makes us wise. And God is the one who possesses all wisdom. So we pray to God for wisdom and we bring open Bibles and just say, show me. Help my life be conformed to the truth of your word, O God. So, this morning... I, I, I want to just give a word to parents in particular. Parents, do you show your children the relevance of God's word in daily life? Do you model for them at the dinner table the shaping influence of God's word? Are we intentionally instructing and talking with our children about God's wisdom? I worry that far too many families assume that if they just go to church, get their kids to Sunday school, maybe even bring them on Wednesday, that they'll somehow just turn out all right without intentional discipleship. And the reality is, if you're not going to disciple your children, someone else will. It's their friends, social media, the things that they're watching, the books that they're reading. Consider Psalm 78.4. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Do we do that? Don't hide what God has done, how good and gracious he has been in your own life and in the lives of those around you. Don't hide that, but declare, tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. So we're to get wisdom because it's better than riches. The second subpoint of this first section is that wisdom is at work in creation. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So the second aspect of wisdom is because God exercised wisdom in creation. It actually goes much more in depth in that, uh, on that in chapter 8, but we'll get to that later. The point here is that whoever doesn't heed God's wisdom is going against the very fabric and the very structure of creation itself. You see that? The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. Wisdom was right there before the foundations of the earth. God exercised wisdom in creating the world. Now, the phrase, the deeps broke open, I think allude to the flood in Noah in Genesis 7, 11, which says, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And this is coupled with the clouds that drop down the dew. So this picture of nurturing gentle rain. So what he's saying is all of creation, both the floodwaters and the gentle rain of spring reflect the infinite wisdom of the creator. Get wisdom because by wisdom, the very world in which we live was created. That's why we ought to get wisdom because we'll understand how this world lives. 
If wisdom was present in creation, then surely wisdom is needed for us as we live in his world, for human endeavors to succeed. It would be foolish to say we don't need it. Consider Proverbs 6.6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So he's saying, look at nature, look at creation and learn a lesson from something like the ants. Proverbs 30, 25 says, the ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. And you see that kind of talked about in Aesop's fables as well, right? The ant and the grass, grasshopper. This idea that the ants work hard and he's trying to instruct us to say, you can even see in the way the world was created, wisdom. Therefore, get it, get wisdom. Today, we have many who seek to undermine the creational order. The most obvious in our world right now that's talked about everywhere is the attempt to change your gender or sex. This is the most prominent battleground in our world today. And I just wanna kind of give a little aside to, to talk about this because it's present in our world. How should we respond to those who truly believe that they were born the wrong gender or wrong sex. We ought to speak the truth in love. Telling people the truth is loving. Not succumbing to what the world wants us to do in buying into the lie is important for us as God's people. Now, Many would say, but that doesn't feel like that's very gentle and loving and, and you don't have to say it like a jerk, but we must speak truth. And the truth doesn't often feel gentle or loving, especially for those who choose to walk in darkness. And so let me illustrate it like this. The truth is often like hydrogen peroxide on an open wound. If you get a cut, you pour a little hydrogen peroxide and what does it do? It stings, it burns a little bit, you kind of see it bubbling with the blood but what's it doing in that moment? It's killing the bacteria that would otherwise cause an infection so that we die. So truth in our day and age has an antiseptic quality and we must not compromise truth. Even if the rest of the world denies the very creational order, God's people must uphold God's word and we're just gonna have to get used to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have to remember that. Blessed, rejoice, be glad when people falsely accuse you of being a bigot or being hateful because we uphold God's word. So wisdom, get wisdom because it's better than riches. It's at work even in the foundation of the earth in creation and now get wisdom because it gives us confidence. Look with me at verses 21 to 26. Wisdom gives us confidence as we walk through life. He says, my son, 
Do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So what is he saying here? He's saying don't lose sight or take your eyes off wisdom because it is going to make your life a blessing. It enhances your life. Look at the long list of things that wisdom begets. It's, it's life for your soul. It'll cause you to walk securely. Your foot won't stumble. You'll be unafraid when you lie down. Your sleep will be sweet. That was my favorite. Like, yes, I want sweet sleep. If I could get eight, nine hours without waking up, without having to go to the bathroom, that would be wonderful. I know you guys agree. Won't be afraid when terror comes. The Lord will be your confidence and your foot won't be caught. Anyone want any of those things? Get wisdom. When it says the Lord will be your confidence, it means that you will be secure and confident no matter what happens because God is on your side. That's why wisdom is so valuable. For example, when some terrible disease comes or some terrible diagnosis comes, some terrible illness comes, how is the Lord our confidence? We can pray for healing because we know God hears. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted and you will strengthen their heart and you will incline your ear, Psalm 10, 17. We can pray to learn the lesson that we need to learn through that trial, Psalm 119.71 says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. There's some psalms that just won't make sense until we go through trials. We incline our ears to God's word. Job 36.15 says, he delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. There's things we would not pay attention to, aspects of God's character we would not care about until we go through trial and adversity. It was until I went through deep waters that Psalm 121 finally made sense to me. Prior to that, I had just gone through life and I thought, Man, the psalmist whines a whole lot. And then as you go through some deep waters, you realize, oh, that's me. And that's why those psalms were written. God is trying to get our attention. And then we can pray. I thank you, Lord, that this trial is not your curse upon me. Because all those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We take comfort in Christ and not in the odds of our healing. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says, we, we felt that we had received the very sentence of death. But then he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And we can have confidence when terror comes because we know God is on our side. No condemnation, no curse, no sting of death, no victory for Satan. Nothing good does God withhold from his children. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And if he's given us his son, Jesus, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8, 32. So you wanna walk securely, safely, with a life of confidence? 
Seek after the wisdom of God. $100 million, wisdom. Pick wisdom because it's going to lead to confidence when calamity comes. Now, get wisdom because it's better than riches, instrumental in creation and allows us to live with confidence. This leads now to the second half, to apply wisdom. And in verse 27 to 31, we get five prohibitions that apply to our relationships to those around us, particularly our neighbors. And this passage is largely calling the reader to cultivate a life of community and a life of goodwill, to establish a culture of life rather than a culture of death. So look with me at each of those verses. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due and when it is in your power to do it. So this is almost like the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. In Deuteronomy 24, 15 says, in talking about rules for uh, laborers that work for you, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets for he is poor and counts on it lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. I think that's kind of the underlying rationale behind this. If it's in your power to give it, give good. Do good to those around you. And it doesn't mean that we're called to do good to everyone in the world, but there is a sense in which those that are nearest to us will hear of needs, will hear of burdens, will hear of ways that we can minister. And if it's within your power to do it, we should not withhold it. And I would say even as we seek to build a culture of life and of generosity and of joy, have you ever seen something and thought, man, I should tell them how much I appreciated what they just did there? It could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a parent, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend, someone in your small group. We should be those who commend the good things in those around us and not be stingy with affirmation in the lives of others. Sam Crabtree is a wonderful example of this to me. Now verse 28, he says, do not say to your neighbor, this is the second prohibition, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. I think the underlying background of this again is the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24. If he's a poor man, this is 24 verse 12, if he's a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. The idea here is don't oppress the poor and needy. Don't delay on repaying a loan. Don't tell your neighbor to come back when you have it to give. Now verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. This is a broader level of truth, cultivate a culture and community of trust and of love and of generosity, not of gossip and suspicion. The call is to cultivate love rather than distrust. I remember, and as I was growing up, I was in California, my parents owned a duplex. And so we lived on one side and we had neighbors who shared a wall with us on the other side. And at, we discovered at one point that our neighbor was stealing our electricity because we shared a wall. So he could break through his drywall and rewire his house to our house because they had their electricity turned off. You can imagine we were very glad when we moved away from that neighbor 
It's not a good thing to cultivate wickedness against your neighbor. Don't plan evil against them. Well, we see maybe the best example of that with Haman in the book of Esther. He, he plans evil for Mordecai and ends up getting hung on his own gallows. This call is to look out for each other, cultivate a community of kindness and of trust. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Don't pick a fight with someone for no reason. Don't go unnecessarily looking for trouble or pursue frivolous litigation. And then verse 31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And unfortunately, in our world, increasingly, there's a subculture that glorifies violence and riots and brawls and smash and grabs, and yet this will only end in ruin. Now, as you hear these five prohibitions, my guess is for a room like this, none of us were like, whoa, I've never heard that before. That sounds so mind-blowing, right? It, it all seemed a little bit like, yeah, that's common sense, right? It, you, you don't bull down, bulldoze your neighbor's shed because you live right next to them. They know where you live. And yet, this is increasingly uncommon sense in our world. Just this week, there's a story of a neighbor that shot and injured their other neighbor because a ball had rolled into their yard. I think the mom and dad and a six-year-old daughter were shot. We might take these five prohibitions for granted, like, of course, everyone lives this way. It's just common sense. And yet, that's because largely our society and our instincts have been largely shaped by biblical morality and wisdom for several generations. And so we praise God for that. And yet we know that there are many cultures, increasingly here in America and around the world, that this biblical wisdom is desperately needed. Some of you probably remember the book Peace Child by Don Richardson. And he describes his ministry among a head-hunting, cannibalistic people and tribe. And uh, within that culture, to befriend, deceive, betray, kill, and then ultimately eat one's enemy was the highest honor. And so when he shared with them the gospel, they thought Judas was the hero of the story. And it almost seems laughable to us. And yet there are cultures around the world and increasingly in our own country where people see darkness as light and light as darkness. Biblical wisdom is increasingly rare, increasingly necessary, and we ought to be thankful if we possess this wisdom. And we ought not take it for granted that our children are going to get it if we don't instruct them in it, or your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren. The reason given for living this life of good found, is found in verse 32 to 35. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get, get disgrace. The motivation is that God blesses the righteous and God curses the wicked. It reminds us once again, nothing that we do is outside of his sight. 
God sees and knows and will judge and his curse is on the house of the wicked. Not just that individual, but all that are touched by that individual's life, the whole family. There's a ripple down effect. And yet that is true also of righteousness. When we follow God's law, we follow God's rules, follow God's commands, live according to his wisdom. It's a blessing to our parents and children and siblings and friends and church. And so the main point here is that we must reckon with God. Do you want God to be against you or for you? Do you want his curse to be upon you or his blessing, honor or disgrace? And what ultimately determines that is whether or not we are in Christ. So Proverbs doesn't just want moral unbelief. Proverbs is not trying to say if you just live with a certain level of morality but remain unregenerate, that'll be okay. What the father is trying to build into his son is not just a decent life apart from God. He wants him to fear God rightly, to live in the wisdom of God's good design so that he might experience joy and blessing. He wants him to walk in the fear of the Lord, which is ultimately trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. So the call for wisdom is ultimately on this side of the cross, a call to seek God and his son, Jesus. And our passage shows us not just the value of wisdom, but we can extrapolate that and see the value of how Jesus is ultimately better. Knowing Christ is better than silver or gold. $100 million or Jesus. Oh, take Jesus 10 times out of 10. The cross of Christ reveals the infinite wisdom of God. Faith in Christ allows us to be truly secure, truly confident and fearless when terror comes. The forgiveness of Jesus enables us to walk in confidence. God's indwelling spirit enables us to love others and to pray for our enemies and to speak the truth in love to those who are without Christ. So the main point of our passage this morning is get wisdom. See how good and valuable it is and then apply that wisdom so that you might live a life of joy and blessing and confidence ultimately in Christ. The aim is to internalize God's ways of living. That you wouldn't just have six months of wise living but 66 years of wise living until your dying day. We aim for a life of righteousness that's cultivated through daily and hourly decision-making that pleases God. We can't become wise overnight. We can't build a house in one day. A family isn't raised in one week. You can't build a business in a month. You need an ongoing, consistent pattern and life and attitude that fears God that seeks after wisdom, revealed ultimately and preeminently in Jesus Christ, and then applies that wisdom every day and every moment to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would cause each one of us to get this type of wisdom, to apply it to how we live every day, every moment for the glory of Christ. Make us a people 
that shine forth the light and the life of Christ to a world in need so that many would come and find wisdom and life and ultimately Christ in and through our testimony. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.